Amen. Genesis 28. And he lighted or came. In fact, it's inferred here that he, Jacob, he was by some coincidence unplanned came upon a certain place. He spent the night not because he desired to be there but because the sun was going down. Are you reading now the scripture with clarity? So he, he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillow. Stones are not comfortable but at least they would elevate your head. So we already know by just a few stanzas that Jacob has come upon a place that he did not prepare for. Had no intention of being there. But by circumstance, he's arrived. Laid down in that place and went to sleep. He dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascended and descended on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, God speaking, and will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. This profound and moment that would have left anyone awestruck has now occurred Jacob didn't even realize where he was and he awoke out of sleep he said surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not and he was afraid and said how dreadful is this place there is none other this is none other than the house of God this is the gate of heaven and I'm preaching about the critical point of our life the moment that you must not miss. It's the hinge of your history. Amen. Now before I preach, let me say I know I've got at least one resident historian in here. Um, and there may be other self-educated folks. So I've taken careful consideration to scrutinize the multiplicity of historical writings and books so that I didn't stumble upon a revisionary historian. So you know that we have to find truth and we have to find what's right in order to relate any portion of our history to the Word of God. Amen. Everybody said amen. He's a good God. Bless the Word and the people and Bless the preacher. I thank you for it, Lord. Turn to someone and be kind before you're seated.
in a handful of weeks, Tammy and I will mark 19 years of ministry, teaching and preaching somewhere on these properties here in East Glen in attempt to convince people to be saved with regret many have slipped through my fingers perhaps some due to my inability I knew them at the time I knew some of those losses were impending. Even as a child, I had a sense of the moment that I was in. I knew the gravity of particular times. When it was a good moment, I, I could sense it was a good moment. Sometimes I would say it. In our time, there have been moments that are particularly critical and yet sometimes I wonder if they're treated too common or benign so I I draw from that great preacher and his words and those also who have detailed both the biblical and historical account in summary and I promise not to labor long for the textbook's sake it was the summer of 1863 when the Union troops were simply trying to withdraw from Richmond. They were considering the farmers and the crops and the totality of the war against the soil. It wasn't just a military plight, it was common sense. The farms were being devastated by the trampling of soldiers and the war and fires. But the Confederate army marched into Pennsylvania with an intent, a different intent. And yet they didn't realize what was going to happen. They had some 75,000 men in their troops and their advancement caused a confrontation with at least 95,000 Union soldiers. They will all convene and converge on a nondescript piece of property, a field, as it were. A place called Gettysburg, about 20 miles from Washington, D.C. But no one had planned to fight there. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that such a pivotal battle would occur in that place on those days. Gettysburg now has found fame because of Lincoln's 272-word speech. Wouldn't you wish all of our presidents spoke that short? But at the time, it was a nothing place. It was like a hub of a bicycle wheel with some 11 roads converging, leading in and out of that small place. The opposing generals did not draw it up that way. It was not planned. It was more like a confrontation of demand where the destinies of these two armies would now fight. The battle of Gettysburg took a couple of days. But it was the third and consequently the final day that determined the outcome. History identifies it as 
Pigott's charge. Scholars and ages and backgrounds and fields of interest all agree that this one incident dictated the future of the Civil War. And they say that from the ashes of this battle, and I quote, it would rise the future of that war and indeed the nation. General George Pickett, a Virginian, a West Point graduate, capable soldier, was not an unlearned man. He had previously fought in other battles, the Mexican War. He, he had some skills. He was skilled in combat and in leading people. But on this fateful day, we know that he made a grave mistake and it cost him and his men. The charge, Pickett's charge, began with an artillery bombardment followed by the advancement of Pickett's army. They left Seminary Ridge, the Confederate battle line. They left it and they crossed the valley all the way into the Cemetery Ridge where they engaged and then they lost. Thousands of men died as the Confederate army wreathed in pain on the third day. That charge from start to finish lasted about just one hour, 60 minutes of time. The charge, the fighting, the repulse, and then the retreat, all of it took just 60 minutes. An hour that historians say that was the turning point in the battle. A battle that was the turning point of the war. And a war that became the turning point of American history. Can you imagine? Showing up one day. It's a battle. It doesn't look like the final battle, and it is not. It's a war, but it's been going on for some time. But now today as I stand here, some 242 years of our nation's history could have and probably hinged on 60 minutes of hand-to-hand combat and a battle of chance fought by men on the rolling hills of Gettysburg just 20 miles from our nation's capital. Journalist and historian George Stewart said of Pickett's Charge, and I quote, that if we grant, as most Americans do, that the Civil War is the most dramatic moment in our nation's history, and that Gettysburg was the turning point in that war, then it would seem, he said, that Pickett's Charge was the turning point of the most dramatic moment of the Civil War. It is a stunning statement that the most dramatic moment in America's rich history may have been a band of warring men charging across a Pennsylvania real estate in between two ominous ridges. To those in the fight, it was an ordinary moment. The place didn't seem like much, and the day was just another day in June. But perhaps the moment, the most important moment in memory occurred then. Now, looking back, it was larger than life. It came to be something to be studied, pondered, rehearsed, repeated. Historians and academics alike have dissected it and replayed it over and over again. The advancement of George Pickett, the layout of the land, the union dominance, the place of Pickett himself, an hour of effort that shaped and reshaped the nation, the turning point in the battle that was and became the turning point of the war. The loss on one side... And the confidence on the other side. All of it culminating to Lee's surrender. And Appomattox two years later. And then the speech by Lincoln in that same place. All of it happened in one hour. And I say that the most significant moments. Don't always look like such. When you're in them. Sometimes. Maybe. If you're given the gift of discernment. And God allows you to see it. Maybe. Maybe. You can sense how critical the time is. But the reality is that few, almost none, 
can really know which hour could change the course of their family's life or their faith or their finances or their church. So go back and read the diaries and letters of those who had survived the brutal battle that day on both sides. Read them. It's stunning to read the writings of the men as they prepared for yet another battle. None of them, as I'm perusing through this, none of them thought much of the moment. They didn't see themselves or the day as the hinge of history. In fact, they wrote that it was not extraordinary, that it was not exceptional. That's how they saw it. They didn't and perhaps could not see it for what it was. And so it is in the march of humankind that significant times are pressed upon us days of destiny come upon the clock and the calendar of our lives without us ever realizing it we arrive at intersections of unspeakable opportunity of challenge and change with no warning and no handwriting in the heavens just one chance to live and live it well Even this day, this very moment, as I'm preaching this word, we've all gathered for yet another service of singing and worship, and hopefully we've come for the word too. It seems ordinary in some way. The calendar is moving ahead, and time is speeding by at a breakneck pace. But I did not come thinking ordinary. I came with a thought in mind that it's another chance to change the destiny of someone's life. Think of it, ladies and gentlemen. We are all standing on the hinge of something unrealized. We may, even in this moment, have but a single chance to answer the knocking at the door. He is a gentleman. The Lord never knocks down a door, but he'll stand at the door and knock. It may be the moment, maybe out of what seems to be chance or happenstance, we find ourselves in a place where our entire world is set in order and our futures are now finally secure. And suddenly, and certainly we are there, and I submit to you today, you have arrived at that moment. You are sitting in yet another church service, but this is not just another moment in time. The Shekinah glory of the Most High God has interceded. He's come down here to stand in the way of a destiny wrought with pain and anguish. I say today, Shakespeare once wrote, and I quote, he said, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune, but omitted all the voyage of that life is bound in the shallows and misery. So he said in conclusion, and I quote, We must take the current when it serves or lose, when it serves or we will lose our ventures. And so we must. A current arrives and we can get in or we can be left out. That's why I host, uh, well, that's why a host of other pastors and shepherds no less enter pulpits and preach the scripture. Why? Because we do not know what hour it is. And it is likely, maybe even designed so, that the most critical things of this life is on the line. That's why when I stand up here, I am not passing time. I'm not here to turn a phrase, but I'm reaching for someone's destiny. I do not know, but maybe this is the moment of your entire life, that today everything can change, everything can switch. You'll go from who you used to be to a brand new person. And after a moment of time, maybe one short battle, you'll look back and not recognize who you used to be. I'm praying that God will intercede here. I tell you, this could be your moment. But today, the 
the day travelers and the churchgoers and people who peruse through podcasts and Sunday sermons. This might not seem pivotal. It might just seem like another late sun, late summer sermon, another one soon to come. We'll come back next week. I, I know it's easy to get caught up in the sameness and numbness of our days. It's easy to be buried beneath the circumstances of the daily grind. I know it's difficult to walk into a moment of destiny and realize where you are, but here you are and this is it. The God of the galaxies of time and space and past and present, the God of healing and hope of judgment and justice just occupied this room. I'm here to tell you the glory of the Lord is in this house. If you could realize it for what it is. But our minds and our eyes are so blind sometimes we cannot see. But if I could just pull back the curtains of another reality. There are angels in this house. There are ministering spirits in this house. And the presence of God is in this place. And I dare say that just because we come often or because there have been other great moments does not mean that this is not the most important pivotal of your life. All prayer meetings are not the same, ladies and gentlemen. All days of fastings are not the same. All worship services are not the same. All singing and praise are not made at the same juncture of time and life. So go back and look at it clearly and you'll find it to be true. Jesus himself had prayed with his disciples on many occasions, more than we probably can imagine. He's constantly retreating to the mountain or some obscure place for prayer. They always ate together. They ate many meals together. And they always ate sacrificial meals. All of the festivals were spent together, even from childhood. All of them, Jewish men, Jewish babies, Jewish children, Jewish teenagers... Nothing was out of the norm. Jesus steps that night and says, we're going to pray. He moves a stone's throw away from his men and he prays. There's no reason for them to think that this was a pivotal moment in time. They had no cause to believe that this is the hinge of their life. And it wasn't as if Jesus had not been there before. It was a familiar spot. Same prayer room. Same garden. Same olive trees. They all knew him. They all knew when and where he prayed. That's why Judas could lead the temple guards by night. Just another time of prayer. Just another Sunday morning service. Just another September Sunday a.m. With worship and praise and offering and a preacher. So we plod through the day unaware what possibilities could exist within these confines and the meager moments that we have. It's already slipping past me so quickly. Some may forget and others may remember what happens today. But I wonder of those days and months to come, even powerful servers that existed in this house. I wonder if a journal could relay the most important impingement of all that has been made. Because at that moment, on that night in which Jesus was betrayed and then started the journey to Golgotha, when it began, Gethsemane looked the same as it always had been before. Prayer time was mundane. Usually in so much that the men fell asleep, and so they did. And the Lord woke them up several times. Could you not pray with me one hour? 
just one hour. Because this last hour is the hour of our lives. This one hour is the moment that I've got to decide whether it be my will or the will of the Father. This one hour is going to determine whether I'm going to go to the cross and save all of humankind, mankind. And so for one hour, he's praying as drops of blood are spilling off of his forehead. I tell you, they did not know what hour they were in. They did not know what time they were in. They were like all the Sunday morning churchgoers thinking, I'm just going to come to church. I have to tell you today, you're in the most pivotal moment of your life. This may be the moment of your life where your life is going to change and everything is going to be changing your home and your family and your marriage and your children and your health and your life. I'm going to tell you how I've got to preach. i got to preach like there are dead people watching me because you are going to die. i got to preach like it's the last service I will ever preach. i got to spend all my energy as if this is the last moment. I'm not even planning on getting here next week. I've got to give you everything I've got this week. I've got to worship God. Come on, everybody. you got to get on board. you got to know this is your moment. This is your time. And if you realize God is here. Come on, let's clap our hands unto the Lord because you know it's true. They know he's a teacher. They and all the rest, even in the midnight Bible study with Nicodemus, the Pharisee who will be soon found with faith will say, for we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Never realizing he is the express image of God. That Nicodemus is looking full square in the face of Emmanuel, God, one of us. Robed in flesh, the ancient spirit, divinely ordered, pronounced by Gabriel. They missed who he was, the incarnate God. They missed the prophetic words that came before. How could they miss it? They had studied it all of their lives. They had read it over and over again, like all of us reading the same things over and over again. But now he shows up and we miss him. Isaiah saw it. He said, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Jesus did that. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Jesus did that. Verse 6, Isaiah 35, Then shall the lame leap as an heart. The Lord did that. The tongue of the dumb sing. For the wilderness shall waters break out in the streams in the desert. I say Jesus did all of that and we can ill afford to miss our moment. Don't miss your moment. Don't think we'll be here tonight. I'll catch up later. I can do it later. Don't do that. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Now... I wish you would stop wandering and pondering about a commitment. Make the commitment today. Today is the day. Because we cannot blindly think that this is but one of many. It may be your last. It may be all of our last. Or it might be the battle that ends the war that you're fighting. Maybe today you make a decision and you keep on fighting. But today when you, when you fought this battle, everything else started to crumble. And it might take a couple of years, but you're going to point back and say, On that September morning, I, I, I fought a battle and that battle led to the victory. Oh, 
I feel the holy presence of God just moving in here right now. I feel someone just reach out in faith. I know that you have. So hear me now. Don't think another time will come because the time is right now. The moment is pressing. It could be that Jesus had been waiting for you to respond all this time. And I know that some will say to me in rebuttal that nothing happened. But I say it only takes a small crack in the concrete of a massive dam for the waters to break forth. They may not break forth tomorrow or next week. But if you'll put a crack in it today, the flood that feeds the soul can be set forth in motion in a moment. You won't know. But what you just did today is going to open up something in your life in the future. The future may be just a month away. I read to you a small text of the greater story of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. The last time Jacob saw his brother Esau, he had stolen the birthright, scorned, he's running for his life. He wanted so desperately to have the birthright, he never considered what it would cost him. In essence, he is trying to save himself. He went too far, his scorned brother, his elder brother Esau, as a madman. After Esau has concluded his weeping, the wailing, the begging, his father Isaac, is there not just one more blessing to which Isaac would not relent? No, I've given it all to your younger brother Jacob. Jacob is running away. He's immature. He's young. He's insolent. And in his haste to get away, he's not taking enough provisions to care for himself. He lays down not knowing where he is and certainly doesn't know who's there to meet him. He makes a bed on rocks, not because it was a pivotal place. He has no idea where he's at, just because the sun is going down got to find some place to rest. He can't walk without fire in the night. Jacob did not sense the presence of the Almighty that night. He, he gathered a few smooth stones and propped up his head on a rock. They became his pillow. But in that moment he saw a vision of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And the top of it reached to heaven whereon the angels of God came. And behold, the Bible says, the Lord stood atop and reiterated the covenant that he gave to his grandfather, Abraham. It was the most spiritual, profound, awesome moments in the history of time. It was the most incredible thing. I would just wonder this afternoon when after you have eaten a large steak, preparing for fasting tomorrow. <laughs> I told some ministers today, I know that, that's what happened to me, you know. I knew the Lord spoke to me, we're going we're to have a call of fast, you've got to fast. I said, okay, Lord, we'll start on Sunday. I'll start on Sunday, I'll call the church, maybe they can start on Monday. It's Friday night. I had a nice steak on Friday night. Praise God. I was thinking, you know, I, I've been begging off all the sweets and sugars. How about I have, I was saying this to myself, 
how about I had, because I went and got gasoline over at the Kroger place, and when I'm going back, the, everybody was huddled around the Dairy Queen, and I thought, a banana split on Saturday before the fast. I was thinking about what toppings I wanted on the banana split. Banana, strawberries, and a little hot fudge, because you can mix them. I was thinking about, I got one more day before the fast starts. And I thought, Friday night, it won't matter. Come Wednesday, three or four days in the fast, I'll, I'll be famished. That banana split will be gone. I woke up Saturday morning, went over to get a cup of coffee, and the, and the Lord spoke to me and said, is this not the fast that I have chosen? I convicted myself and started fasting, and there is no banana split in my future. No preparation. Just running for his life. Trying to get away. And now he happens, almost backs into this area. He's unprepared. He's unkept. And his eyes are open. And all of a sudden he's seeing the most profound things. If today you laid your head down for a little 30 minute nap and the Lord gave you a vision... And out of the roof of your ceiling, angels started to ascend up and down a ladder. And the Lord appeared at the top. Trust me, you'd be telling somebody about it. If you got home today, and you're just going through your day, and you're not really considering anything, but you walked into the living room, and there's a nine-foot, ten-foot giant, an angelic being... As Brother Gruder once told us, when he went to his church and no one was there, or there was a massive warring angel with his arms folded at the front, nine or ten feet tall. Stunning your life. Let me tell you something. It would change your, your moment, your thoughts. If it happened to you, it would change your moments, your thoughts. I want to tell you right now, they are here. And in the morning... When he finally woke up, after witnessing all of that, Jacob's self-incriminating statement was made that has haunted a thousand church services and possibly a million patrons. The Lord was here and I didn't even know it. Maybe that's why on his way back he made sure that he did not miss his time with God because the second time he needed to make sure he got with God. Moments in his presence, ladies and gentlemen, are never paltry. It's just that we don't see them for what they really are. Moments in worship and praise in the Word are rarely seen for what they really are. I could speak of the mounting competition of your for your attention or for the increased cares of your lives, but then it might all seem as if I'm trying to make a case for you to hear the Word when Jesus already said, the record straight he said my sheep hear and know my voice and they follow me hear me I have stood in this very place and witnessed the prodding of the Holy Ghost in the life of someone who then rejected the call only to see their futures change in the matter of 24 hours but I've also stood here and saw hungry people reach out for God and grab a hold of the hem of the garment of the Lord and they were chained forever so I say it's your moment and if you want him you can find him hear it Bartimaeus the blind Bartimaeus 
Bartimaeus sitting by the highway side begging every day begging he had a few moments just maybe a couple of minutes to catch the Lord's attention and he cried out and he said Lord have mercy on me Jesus thou son of David but the crowd urged him to be silent yet he knew I've got a small window of time this is my moment I can't wait for the people to, to comply I can't wait for everyone to like me I can't wait for everything to be in order I gotta put it aside Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me why because he could not let the moment pass him by read your Bible a servant was about to die but a Roman centurion caught the Lord and said Lord if you'll just speak the word the centurion was not a Jew he was not religious he was not spiritual but he understood that man has authority and he said Lord if you'll just speak the word my servant at home will be healed watch it watch it but you're waiting for something and I don't know what you're waiting for you're waiting for the convenient time when people start worshiping you're waiting for a convenient time when, when no one sees you and no one can hear you and you won't stick out and I know, I know, and I've done it too. You're waiting for a time when, when everyone starts clapping before you call out on God. I want to tell you right now, you don't have to wait. You ought not wait. You've come in here with a great need, and the Lord has already found you. He's right in this place. You, you don't get up out of this house and say, man, it was really good. I wish I'd have done something. I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have responded to God. Tell me about that woman with the issue of blood. She had a lot of money. She was a woman of great wealth, but she was bleeding. She was dying. Chances are she had leukemia. Chances are she could not be healed by anyone. In fact, she spent everything that she had, and the Bible says she was nothing bettered. But Jesus turned him about. Why? Because she caught him. She saw him. She said, this is my moment of time. She presses her way through the crowd. It's a moving crowd. It's not a stop crowd. It's a moving crowd. She says, I don't care about anybody else. I don't care what they say of me. I don't care if this is inappropriate to the crowd I gotta get a hold of him if I can just get a hold of him I'm not gonna miss my moment Listen, I got it. I know what happens in this house. Prayer time comes and worship time comes and sometimes we flood the altar. I'm so glad. But what about right now? What about while the preacher is preaching? I'm going to tell you, I'm not missing my moment. And I don't care what you came to do. I came to get my answer. I'm not missing my time. I'm not here to be seen or to see someone else. I'm not missing my moment. I don't care what other people say about me. I don't care if they, if they, if they condemn my contact, my conduct. I'm not missing my moment. you stop being religious and start being relational I'm not married because I've got a document that shows it I'm married because I talk I touch and I trust it's my relation that shows what I am I'll tell you what will happen go ahead and get desperate it'll change the way you operate right now Go ahead and get desperate. It'll change. 
If you're waiting for a tragedy to unfold, you're waiting too long. But if you're in the middle of conflict, right now the Lord is moving past you and by you. All you got to do is reach out and grab. Come on, mother. I wish somebody would say I'm tired of living that way I'm tired of dealing with that problem I'm tired of dealing with the sickness come on you don't miss your moment your moment is right here I'm not going through that anxiety no more. I got to get rid of all this stuff in my life. I got to have a healing. I got to have a restoration. I got to have a family resolved. I got to have issues. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come on, reach out and grab him now. The Lord is right. Forget about formality. Forget about formality. Come on, anybody who ever found anything in Jesus did not have formality. They had hunger. They were desperate.